hospital. He'll be gone for a couple more weeks after this. Uh, he has took a week to go do some studying for some doctoral studies, and then uh, he's going to tag on his family vacation at the end of it for a, for a much-needed break. Be praying, be praying for him as he's away that God would uh, encourage uh, and give him rest so that whenever he gets back, he's, he's uh, full of energy to, to, do, to do ministry here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I pray you do that you turn to the book of 1 John chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, there's one underneath the bench that you're sitting on and, or underneath the bench in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, we encourage you to take that one home. It's our gift to you. Uh, we'd love for you to have a copy of the Scriptures. Uh, we're going to be on page, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1,023. <clears throat> we're continuing on in our series this morning on 1 John entitled Certainty. When you read the book of 1 John, one of the things that you notice is John is always giving us different tests. People that he was writing to had doubts of their faith, unsure if they belonged to God, uncertain of their future after death. And so John wrote this letter of 1 John to encourage a church, giving them different tests to take to give them certainty in their faith. So up to this point, we've been looking at the different tests that John has given, tests of of knowing and believing the right things, of of believing that Jesus is the Son of God, believing that that God sent him to die on the cross for our sins. So you've got to have the right belief, you've got to have the right affection, and then you have have to have the right action. So today, we're going to be talking about the test of right action. Uh, We're going to be talking about the test of love. Uh, the test of love. Let's go ahead and begin. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 21. But let's go ahead and begin at the last verses first. We're going to begin in verse 20 and read verses 20 and 21 to just start it off. So we can clearly see uh, the test that God has given us through, through the Apostle John. It says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So as we begin today's sermon, I have two prayers. I have a prayer for those of you who doubt and lack certainty in your faith. If you doubt whether or not you are a true follower of Christ, if you doubt where your eternal home will be after you die, is my prayer that the Spirit of God will speak to you through these scriptures and will give you certainty. Either certainty that you truly belong to God or the certainty that you don't and that you would turn towards God. My other prayer is that you would abound in love. This test that that John has given us is the test of love. That if we truly belong to God, if we truly belong to Christ, if we call upon his name and we are his, then one of the things that will be real in our lives is, is love for one another. So that, that, that's my prayer for you. And so let's go ahead and, and, and now go and read the rest of our text. We're going to begin in verse 10 and read once again all the way through 21. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. In this is love, not that In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is a commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we continue to read this text, that, that we will be challenged by it, that, that uh, anything that is confusing would be made clear, that we'd be understandable, Lord. Because when we know your truth, we are then confronted with doing something with it. And so, Father, I pray that we'd respond rightly to your word. Father, give me clarity of speech. Uh, give, give, me a, give me the words you would have me speak this morning. We pray this in the blessed name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we've entitled today's sermon, A Certain Effect, because what we believe, according to this passage, is that when we are truly sons and daughters of God, there will be a certain effect in our life, and that effect is love. It's kind of the cause and effect type of mindset. The, the, the causes, the whys, create the what. So the what here is the love of God. That's what's happening. If we are followers of Jesus, we will love one another. So what we want to do this morning is we want to talk about the causes. Why is it that we do love one another? What has God done in us and what are we to do in order that we love one another and that love might abound and that we might have confidence in our faith? I'd like to begin by uh, quickly defining, or I should say describing the love of God, because I feel like in our culture, we don't understand biblical love. Love in our culture is a selfish love. Love in our culture has anything to do that benefits the self, that lifts the self up, that makes the self feel good. And, and biblical love is, is not always like that. And I think there is a perfect example in marriage. Marriage in our culture, if you're single and you're, you're looking for, for a bride or a groom in this life, uh, what our culture says is you need to find somebody that makes you happy. Sounds, sounds legitimate, right? You, you want to find someone that makes you happy. You want to find somebody that will uh, help you out in life and get you to where you need to be. And whenever you get married, what you make with that person, according to our culture, is a, is a marriage contract. Much like a business it's, it's for mutual benefit, that you're both getting something out of it. 
But the problem with that is whenever you write a business contract, if that contract is broken or if you no longer get the benefit from that relationship, then you break the contract. You, you divorce. But whenever we look at biblical love and whenever we look at the biblical concept of marriage, what we have is not a contract, but what we have is, is a covenant. And in this marriage covenant that God has given us, it is a very self-giving and life-giving relationship that we have with the other. So, so whenever I met my wife, I, I, I did, I, I, I tell the story. I, I don't tell it to the youth that are up there because I don't want them to think about relationships. But, but whenever I met my wife, my, my first rea- re- reaction was, was, wow, you know, she, I hadn't seen her before. I was like, wow, she's beautiful. I, I hope that's not her sister because I wanted to date her. And so, so I was wowed by my wife. And I had an attraction towards her. I had uh, feelings towards her. But as we grew in our relationship, I realized that, that I loved her. And, and biblical love, biblical marriage co- uh, covenant is a self-giving. So when I look at my wife, what I want to do is I want the best for my wife. And the best for my wife is that she begins to look more and more like Christ. And so what I do is I look at myself and say, what can I do to help my wife look more like Christ? What can I give up myself? What can I sacrifice of myself to help my wife look more like Christ? And Lindsay, on the other hand, she looks at me and she says, I've got a lot more work to do. But, but she says, what can I do to help Stephen, my husband, become more like Christ? And she gives of herself and she sacrifices of herself in order in order to love me, in order to, to make me look more like Christ. So the biblical concept of, of love is, is a self-giving. You're giving of yourself. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when, when Paul describes love. He says, love is patient, it is kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. That list that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that, that describes love is a very selfless type of relationship. And the way the Bible gives us a picture of love greater and bigger than, than all other descriptions is what God has done for us in Christ. So whenever we love one another, the primary cause of why we love one another is that God first loved us. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12. John writes, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John is saying that the reason we are to love one another, the cause of why we love one another, is because God has loved us with a great, great love. And I think we don't realize the depths of that love, of what he has done for us on our behalf. I like the way Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, but God has showed his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ 
did not die for you when you were a lovely person. You know when Christ died for you? Christ died for you when you were an adulterer. Christ died for you when you were a thief. Christ died for you when you were an alcoholic. Christ died for you when you were just an obnoxious pain. That's when Christ died for you. He died for us while we were yet sinners, while we were rebels, while we were rejecting him. That is the moment that Christ died for us. And that's a great, great love that we have from him. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 13. Paul said that he received mercy whenever he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, whenever he was insolent opponent of, of the gospel and of Christ. But then he says this. He says, this is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. If we are to realize the great love God has for us, if we are to realize the depths and the breadth of his love, one of the places where we have to begin is also delving into the greatness of our sinfulness. And when we see how holy and pure and beautiful he is, and we realize how, how wretched and small and lowly we are, we begin to realize and see the great links that God went through to love us. And we begin to realize that this is not something that we deserved. This is not something that we've earned. But this is total, 100% grace. You know, we do a thing every Sunday where where uh, during our, our, our song service, we have a time of, of confession where we come together and we have a time of silence and then we have a prayer of confession where we, where we confess our sins to God. Some of you during that time, what happens, you're like, man, I've got, I've got a laundry list of things I confess because I know my sin. It is before me and I see it. And, and you go into that time of confession, bearing it all to God. But I also know for a fact that some of you during that time of confession, you sit there and you think, what have I done? I, I don't think I see anything. I can't remember any sins that I've committed against the Lord. I, I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Guys, we need to realize that that is not true. Even if you don't see your sin, your sin is there. Because like Paul, we are the foremost of sinners. And if we are to realize the greatness of God's love for us, it has to begin with us recognizing our own sinfulness. J.C. Ryle said that the true cure for self-righteousness is a self-knowledge of ourselves. So know yourself. Know your sin. And when we see the greatness of who God is and where our sin is, we see his great love for us. And that drives us to love one another. Our second cause of why we love one another is that we love because we have been given the Spirit of God. Look at verse John chapter 4, verse 13. It says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. He has given us His Spirit. What Christ did on the cross is, is He took on our sin. Right? That's the great love. So Jesus is in heaven with God, uh, full of the glory, full of the worship, having everything. And he, he humbles himself by becoming a human, by becoming a servant. He lives a perfect, 
sinless life. And he is put on a cross. And while Jesus was on the cross, the full weight of our sin, the full weight of our guilt was placed on Jesus. That's the great love of Christ. So he say, what does the Spirit do? What the Spirit does is the Spirit applies what Christ did on the cross to your life. That's the work of the Spirit. It's not just, man, I just made a decision, now I'm a Christian. I made a decision to believe, and now, now I have it. What enabled you to do that? What enabled you to confess Christ? What enabled you to confess Christ in the first place is the Spirit of God. Because we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our transgressions. We could not see our sin. We could not confess to God. But the Spirit comes. He shows us the greatness of our God. He shows us our own personal sin. And when we are broken and we accept, He applies the blood of Christ in our lives. Not only does He apply the blood of Christ in our lives, but also the Spirit empowers us to love. The Spirit empowers us to live the life of righteousness that he's called us to live. Paul says this in the book of Romans chapter 9. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Then listen to this. This is beautiful. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells within you. Do you see the beauty of that, the power of that? Christ, dead, in the grave, lifeless. The Spirit of God comes along and breathes life into him and raises him from the dead. The same Spirit that did that in Christ is the same spirit that is dwelling within us, breathing new life into us, bringing us to a point where we can see the truth of God and begin to live it. Sometimes people, the the, the reason we can love one another, the reason we can can look beyond ourselves and our own needs is because the spirit of God is breathing new life into us. And I think there is something that we can do to to apply this. I think oftentimes we're always like, what can I do? I want an application so I can, so I can do something. So, so here's an application uh, to, to put into action. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, Paul tells us that we ought to put our mind on the things of the Spirit. We're to put our mind on the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit are the, are the virtues of the Spirit. Things, things like uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, humility, contentment, all these things are are, are things of the Spirit. And Paul says that we are to think on the things of the Spirit and we are to walk in these things. So I just want to ask you, like, what do you think about in your downtime? In your downtime, when when, when you're not thinking about the task at hand, when you're just chilling out, what what do you think about? When you're at the stoplight, what do you think about? Men, Men, when you get home from work and you sit on the couch and you're like, Oh, day's over. What does your mind tend toward? Does it think about the things of the flesh or does it think about the things of the spirit? Moms, when you, you don't get to come home from work and like crash on the couch, you get to crash in bed, you know, after the kids are asleep. 
when that happens, when you have your free time, what do you think about? Does your mind go towards the things of the Spirit? Does your mind dwell on the things of God and what God has done for us in Christ? Or does it tend towards things of the flesh? One of the things that I'm convicted of and one of the things that I had to confess earlier during that time of confession, man, it's Facebook. And, and I'm just picking it up. I got two seconds. Oh, what's going on? Nothing since five minutes ago. <laughs> but am I filling my mind with the things of the Spirit? Or am I distracting myself with the things that don't matter? Let us set our mind on the things of the Spirit. The third cause of why we love others. You know, we've seen the love of God, how He has loved us, He has given us His Spirit, and now we have a third cause, that we love because we have come to know, believe, and confess the truth. Look at verses 14 and 15. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. One of the things, if we want to love one another, we have to believe and know and confess the right things. The, the, the technical term for, for knowing and believing the right things is, is orthodoxy, that you believe what is right. And one of the things that we believe in our church and we think that, that Scripture and, and life teaches is that believing the right things leads to, to doing the right things. Because the truth of the matter is, is if you do not have truth, if you do not believe the truth, if you do not confess the truth, then what happens is you miss love. You miss love. And, and Dave's not here, so I'm going to go ahead and brag on, on our pastor a little bit because Chris told me a story about him. I thought, wow, that's a perfect illustration. Um, every now and again, there's a, there's a local pastor's luncheon. And uh, I, was, I was running late, and Chris was telling me the story of what happened before I got there. But, you know, we, we meet on Tuesdays, and I think the sole reason we meet on Tuesdays is because Rosa's has, like, the Taco Tuesdays. And uh, if you ever go to Rosa's on Tuesdays, you'll, you'll, you'll walk in, and the place is packed. I mean, people in line, every seat taken, people waiting on seats. And uh, this other pastor got there before Dave and Chris and uh, finds a table. Had a, you know, already cleared off. All that was there was a crumpled up old newspaper. And so he sits down, and, and Chris gets there, and Chris sits down, and and this lady walks up, just anger seething out of her, and says, that newspaper was there for a reason, and just turns around and walks off. And, uh, and they're like, wow. And then Dave walks up and sits down, and Chris and this other pastor tell him what happens. And, uh, and uh, they, they joked a little bit, <clears throat> asking the question of, you know, when has a crumpled up newspaper become the universal symbol of seat taken? And, but then, then Dave does something. He, he, he gets up. And they point her out, and he walks over. And, and though he wasn't required to and didn't have to and didn't need to, he said, you know what, I'm sorry that happened. And they said, let, let me help you clear this table off, because the only table she could find was one that was piled high with trash. And so he then helps clear the table off of all the trash. What, what Dave did is, is Dave loved her. Now, what could her responses be? If she knew the truth of who Dave is and what Dave was about, she could have received that as a great sign of love and a great sign of kindness and thought, wow, that's awesome. 
But what happens if she misses the truth? What happens if she doesn't recognize it as love? Well, she could see it in a completely different light. She could say, yeah, I, I, I got mine. Yeah, I told them off, and they must have been guilty. And he felt so bad, he had to come over here and try to make things right to ease his guilt. And she could have completely missed the truth of the situation and the love of the situation because she didn't have the right truth. If we miss truth in Scripture, if we don't, if we don't hold on to what is true in the Bible, then what we can happen and what we'll, what we'll, what we'll do is we'll miss the love of God in our lives. And, and, I, and I've seen and I've heard people describe it this way. You know, Christ, uh, God sent Jesus, his only son, to earth to die on the cross for our sins. I've heard and seen some people look at that truth of what Christ has done, what God has done. And instead of being moved to, to conviction of sin and repentance and love back towards God, you know what they do? They say, you know what? That's divine child abuse. What type of God would send his only son to die for someone else? I definitely don't want to love a God that would do something like that. Because they did not have the truth, they missed the love all together. What is the truth? The truth is that our God in heaven sent his only son to be born on this earth of a virgin who lived a perfect and sinless life, who was put on the cross by evil men and crucified there, that God poured his wrath out upon his son, that he died and that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again. And he's commissioned us as church to go out into the world to proclaim his message. That is the truth. And whenever we have that truth, and whenever we confess that truth and we hold on to that truth, then we see the love of God and we are prompted then to love one another. And this is what I challenge you to do. Knowing truth requires something of you. Knowing truth requires that you be searching for truth. And we live in a sound bite world that, that discourages reading, that discourages searching out truth. But I would challenge you, read Yes, read your Bible, but also read good Christian nonfiction that expounds the Word of God, that teaches us who our God is and what our God is about. On our, on our, on our website, on, on the city, you know, if you go to Dave's page or my personal page or Chris's page, there's a whole list of books that we've read. And we said, man, this is what we recommend you read. But we want to encourage you to, to learn more about who your God is and what he has done. Because when you know more about our God, what happens is you love him more. And when you love him more, what happens is then is you love other people more. So why, why, do, we, why do we love one another? Because God has first loved us through sending his son. Why do we love one another? Because he has sent us his spirit. Why do we love one another? Because we have believed and confessed the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And, and, and our, last, our last point is, is that we love because we have a relationship with him. And I want you to see something that, that you might not have seen yet. All these points, all these causes of why we love one another, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, him sending us his spirit, the fact that, 
the fact that, uh, that we confess him, and now that we have a relationship with him, these points, don't, don't you see that, that this is just salvation? This, this is the work of salvation, of what God has done in us. God of his own will came and died for us. In our sin, he, he sent his spirit to, to awaken us and alive us. He then, he then allows us and gives us what we need to confess his sins. And now we live in relationship with him. Look at verses 16 through 18. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This passage, what it's calling us to do is to abide in Christ, to abide in Christ. In the gospel of John, he, he makes this illustration of, of, a, of, of a vine and branches, that Christ is the life source. He is, he is, he is this vine, and, and we are branching off out of it, out of it finding our, our life in that, in that branch. Um, but this, this word abide has with it the idea and the connotation of, of relationship. It's not just that you're dwelling with somebody. I, I had a ton of roommates in college. I don't know, maybe that's difficult to live with. But, uh, but I had lots of room, roommates that, that I dwelled with. You know, we, we shared the same roof. We hung out. We talked. We had to share space. We, we lived together. But we didn't abide together. But my wife and I, we dwell together. We live under the same roof. We share space. But there's something different about that relationship because we abide together. We give life to one another. We are in a different kind of relationship with one another. And the relationship we are to have with Christ is a life-giving relationship. That's what he is calling us to in 1 John chapter 4. And one of the things that happens when we are abiding in Christ is it says that we are perfected. What that means is we become more and more like Jesus. So those of you who have been a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, one of the questions that you have to ask yourself is, am I more like Christ today than I was 10 years ago? Am I more like Christ today than I was 15 years ago? Am I more like Christ today than I was 5 years ago? Because... Because as we abide with Christ, as we are in a relationship with him, what happens is we encounter his love continually. And his love continually is making us more like Jesus Christ. That, that's what his love does. And not only that, it says that, that as we are encountering his love and as we are being perfected, something else happens. It says the fear we have in judgment, the fear we have in God's judgment dissipates. It, it, it goes away. And instead of fear, what we have is confidence that, that we will not be judged before God because Christ has received that judgment already. And that is so crucial in trying to love one another. So crucial in trying to love one another. Because think about that. It, it, if you're fearing judgment, if you are fearing what, what is to come, if you're fearing God's judgment, what are you going to do? 
One of the things that you might do is, is you might try to compare yourself to other people. Well, God, you can't judge me too harshly because I'm so much better than this guy over here. And yeah, God, th- this might be my sin right here, but, but look at this sin over here. And if we have fear and judgment, we begin to judge other people. We begin to condemn other people. We begin to compare other people. And as long as you are judging and condemning other people, it will be quite impossible for you to love them. But if we are abiding with Christ, if we are in relationship with Christ, and we are, we are perfected by his love, then that judgment and that, that, that fear of judgment that is to come goes away. What we then have is the freedom to love one another. That's what we have, the freedom to love one another. So I encourage you to, to work on your relationships. And I want you to ask a question. Who is it that you're currently judging? Who is it that you're currently dreading? Who is it? Sometimes I think we have like a love-hate relationship with people. Uh, we, we hate them because they, they annoy the devil out of us, but, but we love them because they make us feel so much better because we're better than them. We're like, well, at least I'm not like that person. And so who is that person in your life? Because what Christ is calling you to do is to have confidence in the love of God and to put that prejudice aside and to love that person. Because listen, think about the implications. If you have that love-hate relationship with somebody where they annoy you but you like them because you're better than them, if you have that relationship with somebody, what does that mean? That means you have fear and judgment. It means that there's, there's, a, there's a problem that you are not yet perfected in the relationship of Christ yet. And I think when we do and see all these truths come together, the fact that God loves us in Jesus Christ, the fact that he has sent us his spirit, the fact that, that we are then able to confess and then abide in him, what we find is when we, we have that happening in our lives is we then have the, the effect of loving one another. I know the trial that just finished and there's still protests going around the country on the um, George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin uh, tragedy. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where you stand. I'm guessing maybe we could probably split the church right down the middle on where people stand on that issue. And I heard, read a great article where it said the trial is over, but the conversation needs to continue. And this is how I think it needs to continue. Wherever you stand on that issue, I can almost guarantee what it does is it draws out prejudice in our own hearts. One way or the other, it draws out prejudice of our hearts where we look at people differently and we judge people. What is the Christian response? The Christian response to to an event like that, whenever prejudice is drawn out of our hearts, first of all, guys, we've got to repent. We've got to say, I, I sinned. But not only do we repent, but, but after we repent, we have to begin the process of loving. We have to go back to that 1 Corinthians 13 passage about 
what is love when it comes to how you're going to respond on Facebook towards that or have a conversation with somebody at work. Is your love patient? Is it kind? Does it envy or boast? Is it arrogant or rude? Does it insist on its own way? Is it irritable or resentful? Does it rejoice at wrongdoing? Or does it rejoice in the truth? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is what our God is calling us to as a result of his great love for us. The church, my charge for you is that you go out and you love. You love one another that the world might know that God sent Jesus Christ. You love one another that they might know that there is salvation in his wings. Love one another that we might be a unified body, living and serving one another side by side. This is our prayer in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your love, your grace that you showed us. We realize, love, that we, we realize, Lord, that we would not know love and we'd not be able to love if it had not been for you. So we thank you, O Lord, for showing us your ways. Father, teach us your ways as we search your word, as we live in community. Uh, show us what we ought to do. And Father, I pray that you would help our body love our community. May we love Colleen. May we love Fort Hood. May we love Coppers Cove and Harker Heights and Nolanville. Lord, wherever you have planted us, may you help us be beacons of light by loving one another in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.